Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line K-I-N-Y. And good, eh, about more, it's a good morning, but it's kind of more like midday. You are listening to Action Line on K-I-N-Y. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me in the studio today, I have Chief Etheridge with CCFR. How are you doing today, Chief? Hey, I'm good, Jordan. Thanks for having me today. And it's nice to have you in. It's the first time talking to you this year. I didn't get a chance to talk to you in December, but it is what it is. Things happen. But Absolutely. I do I do have a couple of things I want to hit with you. The first one I want to talk about is that fire that occurred over at the Mendenhall Tower. So talk to me about that. What what was going on there? Sure. Um, you know, that's not the first fire we've had in the Mendenhall Towers. Um, you know, it's it's a great building. Uh, it's, you know, concrete construction. And uh, so the fire stayed in the, the room that it was um, uh, started in. And uh, they've got a uh, kind of retrofitted sprinkler system in there. So there's one sprinkler head uh, in front of every door uh, inside that apartment. So between the concrete construction and the sprinkler head, it kept the fire contained to that, that uh, kitchen living room area. So um, fire marshal's still working on it, but, you know, there's, there's a chance that it could be discarded smoking materials. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they haven't ruled out all possibilities yet. So it's, it's still under investigation. Okay. And so when it came to the response to that fire, was it largely first, obviously it would be identifying what location of the building it was in, but how, at what point did CCFR engage? Because obviously the sprinkler system was working. We do oh. know that. Yeah. Um, what, what happens is we have the, the initial crew shows up and the officer has to kind of take an evaluation in the entire scene that's going on and decide what to do, whether they're going to just use tank water and commit and go try and put the fire out if they think they can be fast enough and the fire is small enough, or if they need to set up and establish a water supply and, and get uh, uh, more teams together before they, they commit to doing that. But uh, in an apartment complex, you know, one of our highest priorities is getting the people out of the fire area because uh, those hallways fill up really fast with smoke. Uh, the stairwells are protected, so once they can get into those exit stairwells, uh, life gets a lot better for them. But uh, taking care of the life safety and containing the, the fire problem to the area that it is. Okay. And now, there was another fire that happened recently that you informed me about uh, before the show because <laughs> it involves CC far more directly. Do you want to talk to me about that one? Sure. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we were... Uh, Driving out towards the valley, and we heard on the radio that uh, one of our airport firefighters called on the radio about a, a brake fire on uh, their fire engine. Uh, so apparently while we were out uh, driving and doing some training, uh, some water inside the brake system froze, and it engaged the brakes, and it overheated and uh, actually caught the brake on fire. So uh, because the operator was really quick on his feet, he got the fire out before it caused much damage. Uh, and then the airport maintenance staff was able to, you know, check it out, make sure everything was dried out and cleaned out, and the, the truck was back in service within just a couple hours. Okay. Now, now I have to ask, how common is something like that to have happen where you get that ice buildup in the brakes and then that causes them to overheat? For us, that was the first time ever. Um, we've seen it on dump trucks, and usually it's mechanical failure where, like, a spring or something causes the brake to, to rub onto the drum. But... Uh, for us, uh, we have air brakes, and that was one of the, the things that just locked the air so that uh, you know it wasn't moving. And so the, the fire thawed things out pretty pretty quick for us. So. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, hey, I mean, that's an advantage. It got rid of the thing <laughs> that caused itself. It still was there, but it's progress. Now, I also know there was, I believe it was still this month, there was also that fire out the road where you guys had a pretty steep 
hill that you had to climb. Is that is, was that one this month or was that last month? Uh, I think that was in December. Okay, that might be December. Then it was December. Oh. Oh, we're not going to broach that one. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't quite remember. But speaking of kind of what happened last month, give me kind of a year in review for CCFR. How would you really define how 2023 was for the department? Sure, it was. Uh Controlled chaos. Um, yeah, it's it's one of our busiest years ever. I think we did about 5,100 calls for service this year. Uh, 80% of those are medical. And uh, man, it's just, it's always something new out there in the community. Um, we go to about a dozen actual structure fires a year um, that, that are beyond just like a trash can or a car fire or something like that. But uh, some of the most common causes are discarded uh, smoldering items, whether it's a cigarette or... Uh, ashes from a barbecue or a fireplace. Um, people want to set those outside and they tend to put them in five gallon plastic buckets and they stick that plastic bucket on their front wooden porch and right next to their wood or plastic siding. And uh, it goes up usually several hours after they put it there. So um, we get a lot of exterior uh, fires on houses like that. So that that's one of our most common ones. So Okay. And, I was saying, and why do you think that is sort of the, the most common one that we get around here? Uh, I think, uh, one, it's such a wet climate. Nobody wants to take that stuff further out into the yard. Uh, metal pails aren't as common as they used to be. Uh, plastic buckets are cheap. They're everywhere. They're convenient. And, uh, you know, when people clean something out, they look at the surface and they feel, and it feels cold to them, but buried down inside, you know, are embers. And once you stir stuff up and it gets more oxygen and then it's able to heat up and, uh, we see that real common in uh, uh, flower pots. Uh, people put a cigarette out in a flower pot thinking that they're being safe putting it out in dirt. But most of those flower pots are filled with just organic material. It's dried mosses and twigs. And and so you stick a cigarette ember down in there and it'll sit and smolder for hours. And, um, and then it'll light up in the middle of the night when people aren't expecting it. Right. And then I know when it comes to, like, you know, like the discarded, you know, smoking materials, that's a pretty significant one. I still remember uh, the specific instance uh, back, I believe it was, I think it was 2019 that this happened. Uh, my neighbor's house had caught on fire, and they believe it was because he threw a cigarette into a container that had other long since burnt out cigarettes, but that mm-hmm. still all caught fire. And then his house caught on fire, which I distinctly remember <laughs> because it was, the, it was the early morning of 4th of July that that had happened. And so when you... Once you have that visual context for how fast those things can spread, I think that's a big part of when you realize kind of how serious of an issue it can be. Absolutely. That's one of the the problems the fire service faces right now is a lot of the early fire education that went on. um, We had what they call legacy houses and, you know, everything that we had in them was natural products. We had actual wood furniture. We had, uh, you know, cloth uh, made out of cotton and things like that. Now, everything in our homes is synthetic. Everything's plastic. So... Whereas you might have had, you know, four or five minutes to get out of a house um, back in the 60s, 70s. Nowadays, you've got, you know, seconds to get out. Uh, You know, a room can flash over in under a minute and a half. And uh, it goes really fast. You know, if uh, people want a a picture of it, just Google uh, flashovers on uh, the Internet. And it's just amazing to watch the video how quickly a small trash can fire can turn into a raging inferno uh, in your living room in just under a minute. So... And, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding. So a lot of with how these houses are constructed, it's almost like a tinderbox situation where it only takes one thing 
and all of it's extremely flammable because of how it's made that it all just goes very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's not just the chair that that's burning or the trash can, but it, it's off gassing and creating gases in the room. And so those gases are heating up and those gases are what tend to burn and spread the fire throughout the, uh, the entire structure. So um, when you show up to a house and you see fire shooting out the window, it's not the fire from the chair that's shooting out the window. It's all those gases in the room that are on fire um, that, that people are seeing. Okay. And now, before we kind of wrap up this first half, I want to ask you for a couple of fire safety tips to remember going into the year. And then during the second half, I'm going to have a bit more specific questions for you in that realm. So what are some of the big fire safety tips you want folks to remember? You know, it's a fresh year. They can start and get some knowledge (laughs) out the gate. What do you want to know? Uh, First thing, pay attention to your electrical. Uh, Overloaded circuits, uh, people using space heaters with extension cords is a, a huge cause of fires. Uh, and like uh, heat tape right now, you know, making sure that the, the, the cable on that is in good shape because uh, heat tape failures is another big cause or uh, people trying to thaw pipes out from, you know, failed heat tape. Uh, but that electrical stuff is one of our biggest causes and discarded smoking materials are, are another one. So those, those are the biggest ones. You know, make sure your space heaters aren't next to, you know, your couch or your pile of wood, you know, stuff like that. So. Okay. Well, on that, we are going to move into our break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you for a couple more specific tips, especially because of that real cold weather we're expecting to see going in and sort of head to head, going into this weekend. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And welcome back to Action Line on KINY. Now, uh, Chief Weathers, the big thing I want to talk to you about now is some safety tips, especially because we're getting into that real cold weather here this weekend. I mean, we're talking quite significantly cold temperatures. So what would you recommend pe- folks do to maintain being safe both with those cold temperatures and also not actually causing a fire in order to be able to deal with those cold temperatures? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with the wind chill, I mean, it gets really, really cold. So, you know, you know, personal safety is a huge thing, making sure our ears and noses and, and hands are protected. Uh, frostbite gets real common uh, in this type of weather. Um, but inside our homes, you know, making sure that we have a plan, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest things because, you know, like uh, wood stoves and, and stuff like that. It's it's not uncommon to have a, like a stack fire or something like that. So, you know, think about what would I do if this happened? Um, that way you don't just hit panic mode when, when something occurs that, you know, if you've got a wood stove and you hear that, you know, that roar going on in your stack that you've got a chimney fire, your neighbor knocks on your door. It says, hey, you got flames shooting out the, the top of your stack. You know, instead of panicking or, you know, trying to shoot a dry chemical fire extinguisher up in there, you can just take a, a wad of wet paper towels and toss it in there and close the door. And that creates steam and that helps, you know, slow down the fire if it doesn't put it out. But, uh, you know, keep keeping calm when, when stuff occurs. Um, you know, do just kind of a safety walkthrough. Um, one of the other big ones is making sure you've got two ways out of your home. I only get this hard, crusty snow. A lot of our back uh, uh, exits out of our houses, they freeze shut, whether it's something on your porch that, that prevents the door from opening or the, the door's just frozen altogether. Um, I've, I've, across the state, I've been to several fatal fires where people just couldn't get out their, their back exit of their homes. So um, you know, I'm a real big proponent for, for making sure your porch is cleared off and you can get out of the home. Oh, definitely. That's why I'm glad that the, the my back porch, it's actually, it's, it's got a cover so that it, that helps keep snow off. And then I can also just be like, nope, oh, yeah, definitely. we're getting rid of it there also. So that's been very helpful. Now, yeah. I also want to check in with you on a very, another very important topic when it comes to, you know, emergency services is how is recruiting going? Um, we're doing pretty well. We've got uh, 
four people in the pipeline. I think their last step now is their psychological evaluations. And uh, so we're looking at bringing on four new firefighters uh, at the end of January. And then it looks like one more coming on, um, you know, sometime in March. Um, but so on the paid side, um, you know, we're, we're just about having all of our positions filled. Uh, some of our current firefighter uh, EMTs are getting close to finishing up paramedic school. Uh, so that'll help boost our numbers of, of paramedics. So uh, that side, it's going really well. Um, you know, we could always use more volunteers. Um, you know, we were uh, going to do the uh, Firefighter One class uh, starting this month, but uh, we only had four people that were able to commit to that kind of time frame because it is a huge commitment. Um, so we're postponing it for a little bit to, you know, kind of do a little bit more recruiting on it and, um, you know, see if we got folks that this fits into their lifestyle right now. Okay. Now talk to me about what that, that course would look like for folks that may be interested after our conversation. Sure. It's uh, pretty much every Wednesday night and every Saturday uh, from basically now through the beginning of May when they do their, their big state test. And so we bring, uh, you know, some other agency in to evaluate our firefighters to make sure that they meet the minimum standards. But uh, it's learning about fire behavior, how to use the equipment, uh, how to be safe on the fire scenes, and how to work as part of a team. So um Dragging a, a big fire hose around, not always a one-person job. Usually it takes two or three people, and you got to kind of coordinate how you do those kind of things. So. Okay. And now now I'm curious because you said that you, you're basically at you know the staffing that you want. How many folks are we looking at for the paramedics, and how many folks are we looking at as firefighters? Uh, shoot. Uh, right now um, I think we've got five people in paramedic school. Um, so our goal is to have 13 paramedics uh, on the front line so that uh, we can have two downtown and two out in the valley every single day. That way, if somebody goes on vacation or calls in sick, the, you know, we've got you know, backup paramedics. And, um, but uh, yeah, as far as total numbers, I think we've got 42 full-time positions uh, for frontline firefighters. Okay. Now, now, that makes me really want to ask again. So would the valley folks also be the ones that cover uh, out the road? Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty much. Uh, the way Juno used to be set up is we had five separate departments and we consolidated into one big department. Um, so all the firefighters go to all the fire calls all over the, the community. So um, back when I started, uh, I was out at the Glacier Station by the airport and we did not go past the, uh, the Mendenhall River Bridge or uh, Vanderbilt Hill unless we were invited and asked to come help out. So it was like totally taboo to cross the boundary lines. But now Wherever there's a fire, we want to send all of our resources to, to hit it hard as quickly as possible. Okay. And even hearing you describe that, that does sound a bit, I'll be frank, it sounds a little obnoxious that that would have been the situation before. <laughs> Being like, sorry, you're in the wrong area. I don't want you tackling the fire and not just, good, there's extra hands to help us tackle a serious issue. Yeah. Volunteerism was a little bit different back then. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot more volunteers. People had time and ability to do that. Uh, and so each fire station had 30 volunteers, if not more at that point. And, and right now I think we've got maybe 30 volunteers, you know, department wide. Um, so, um, you know, people's free time that they can commit this, this kind of stuff to is, uh, it's pretty significant. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, like, uh, you know, some of our recreation things, these are things where we're putting people in life threatening environments and we want them to be safe. And so we have to make sure they're adequately trained to, to operate there. Gotcha. Now, what are some of the things that you're hoping to see for the fire department going into 
for 2024, what are your goals for this year? Uh, 2024, the biggest one we've got coming up here in just a couple of weeks is a strategic plan. Um, our strategic plan ended at the beginning of COVID. And so we've been kind of just putting out, you know, spot fires, for lack of a better term, um, since COVID. And uh, so now we, we want to take this time to, to regroup and really set a solid course. Um, we want to do all kinds of stuff about increasing our capacity as, as a department. Um, uh, we're putting in for some grants for training on active shooter uh, type things so that, uh, you know, in you know, schools and government buildings and things like that. Uh, we've done that years ago, but we've had some turnover in the department and people have promoted and have different roles. So we want to make sure we're as proficient and uh, as prepared as possible for, for those kind of events. So, uh, when they when or if they do happen that, uh, you know, it's not, oh, oh gosh, what do we do now? We, we have a, a solid plan, uh, but we got... Um, uh, other training that we're looking at as far as like uh, landslide stuff because all the communities around southeast Alaska are being hit with them. Uh, Juno's had major landslides uh, back in the 20s or 30s where, you know, multiple fatalities. So uh, we know we live in a community that that's a possibility. So we want to have, have a, a solid plan and solid training to back that up so we're not putting people in danger and, and uh, we can do things as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Okay. And, you know, it, it's sad when you have to hear, especially in the school shooting thing, it's a when or if, and I wish it was only an if, but <laughs> that's not the, the the times or the situations we find ourselves in. Now, I want to make sure we also, there's a few other things, small things I want to hit, but I want to make sure we hit that especially. Now, I would say, what are, are some of the big takeaways you want folks to know before you leave today? And then I have one last sort of fun question for you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, the big takeaway from from today is just kind of pre-plan. Think about the what ifs in your, in your life that, that could happen. You know, what if I crashed my car? Uh, what if I, you know, have a, a trash can fire or my fish smoker catches fire on my porch? Um, you know, look, look for those hazards in your life and, and think about it for a couple minutes because when those moments happen, people just flat panic and you know we see them rip fire extinguishers off the wall where they just tear the whole bracket and everything out never pull the pin and then they just crush the head of the extinguisher so it's totally unusable uh, but if you take a couple minutes and think through those things then you know you're a little bit better prepared and your brain's not in panic mode trying to figure out what to do all right now my last question for you which was uh so the guns and hoses game <laughs> I know, uh, I know that the fire department did not end up winning that game, so I wanted your thoughts on that real fast. You know, I, I give credit to those athletes, every one of those folks that are out there on the ice. They work their tails off. It, it's a real fun competition with the cops. It's friendly. When they're out on the ice, man, it's no holds bar. They, they put it all out there, and, you know, everybody wants to win. So, uh, you know, it's a great community fundraiser, and, you know, everybody has a great time doing it. Uh, we get some kids involved and family members and – um, man, we just really enjoy seeing that every year. All right. Well, on that front, you know, better luck next year, Chief. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you guys get your all, but thank you for coming in today. Thanks a lot. All right. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. KINY.